it's back. Uh, if you would like to turn there, uh, this morning we're going to be spending our time in the book of First Chronicles in chapter 16. So you can go ahead and turn there now. And just kind of to get our, our mind around what we're doing here, uh, if you're new with us today, uh, we as a church have been working through uh, the Bible in a year plan, right? We've been working through reading the Bible in a year. And this morning we find ourselves in the book of First Chronicles. Um, each week, Michael has picked a portion of the text from that week, and, and that's what he will preach on. And I'm going to continue that this morning, continue that uh, path. And, and this week, we finished up our time in 2 Kings and began time reading in 1 Chronicles. As you read through 1 Chronicles, uh, two things probably began to run through your mind. If you're with us in that, past, in that, that portion of Scripture, you probably thought these things. One, how in the world do I pronounce all of these names? Um, the beginning of the book focuses on the genealogies and the descendants of, of many of the people of God. And we see there lots of really interesting and cool genealogies and how they all line up. So if you're looking for baby names, it's a great place to start. Um, so you can look there and, and see some really awesome genealogy and how it actually gets to the point of focusing on the second one. Some of this sounds familiar, right? Speaking of David and Saul... The stories of David and the other kings, right? As we work through First and Second Chronicles, written as one book, it's a reference back to the kings of the past. David, Solomon, Hezekiah, and others. To give to those that are further down the road, right? This is being written at a time further down the road. And living really in a time of suffering and hurt. It's, it's to do a couple things. It, one, points them back to how God has worked through everything that it speaks of. Genealogies, kings, all of these portions of time to continually fulfill the covenant he has made with his people Israel. Even through hardship and difficulty and the current situation that they find themselves in, the unknown writer that they find themselves in, God has always held up his end of the covenant. The unknown writer wants to remind God's people of that to give them hope. It's an opportunity for them to look back, see what God has done, and trust that God will continue to do what he has done before. It also points to the coming Messiah and King that would fulfill all the prophecies that had been spoken to the Israelites up to this time. For centuries, they had looked for the Messiah that would lead God's people and ultimately fulfill the covenant that God had made with his people, the one that would deliver them. It speaks often of deliverance and the one that would deliver them. They had heard prophecy passed down from generation to generation about God's promise to bring a Savior, a Messiah, who would redeem his people. We know this, having the whole book, having the entirety of the scriptures, to be Jesus. But until this point, they didn't know who this promised one was. And we're looking to the kings, specifically David, who was held as one of the greatest kings. And yet, even in God working through David in amazing and mighty ways, there was a covenant promise of one that was coming who was even better than David. Just before our passage today in chapter 16, we kind of get to the story portion of what we read here in 1 Chronicles. After the fall of Saul who was kind of the key example of leading in the opposite direction, right, of God's will. 
It says in chapter 10, verses 13 and 14, he didn't seek guidance from the Lord, and therefore God let him be destroyed. We get to the point of David being anointed as king. And we've seen this story before, right, in previous passages of Scripture that we've even read together as a church. But because David did seek the Lord in relationship and in his leadership, God blessed him. And he had the support of all of Israel. In chapter 11, verse 9, it says, And David became greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. The reason David was great was because God was on his side. He worshipped, he praised God, he gave God all glory. As David began to lead, he takes back Jerusalem from the Jebusites, establishes his reign there, and is supported well. He then starts to work on getting the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He has a few hiccups, but that's the process he's working through, right? He's trying to get the Ark back to Jerusalem. The nations all support and affirm this. His reign as king and and even sent thousands of individuals to serve him in the form of armies and leaders. In chapter 12, verse 38, it says, They all supported David as king with a whole heart because they knew God was working in him. As the people around him saw what God was doing, they followed, they supported, they were there on his side. And we see that in how the nations all came around him and rallied around David. They affirmed him as leader, they supported him, and they did so with a whole heart. Once the Ark of the Covenant was back in Jerusalem and back with David, he called his people to worship, to pray, to thank God for all he had done as we're continuing to do for the people of Israel. This leads us to our passage today in chapter 16, and we'll focus mostly on verses 8 through 36, and we'll get to reading that here in just a minute. But this is titled, David's Song of Thanks. That's what we're going to focus on today, the song of thanks, the psalm. Within this psalm, David calls his people to some specific things. And in doing so, I believe, is calling us to do these things as well. These things have been written down uh, in the scriptures and, and have lasted for generations so that you and I would be able to gain wisdom and knowledge from them. And I believe that is exactly what we can gain here in this passage of scripture. These specifics that we'll get to here in a second are David and his people's response to God's provision in their life. How God had supported David, how God had led them to the path of where they were then. How God continued to support them in the way that he said he would through the covenant. God is still a God who provides now. And that's something we need to know as God's people. So we should look at this as a challenge to each of us. To think on these things today and think on how we respond to God's provision in our own personal lives. Just as David was calling his people to these things... We are called to respond to God in these same ways. Nothing has really changed. And I believe we see here that these responses all work kind of hand in hand. They really can't be separated. As we worship God, as we praise him, we see these things. And and these are all responses that we are called to do as believers, right? So, So I may even step on a couple toes today because I truly believe these are what the scriptures tell us to do. And we are to follow the Holy Scriptures, 
And so now I want to take time just to read 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 through 36. I know it's a long passage here, but I believe uh, there's a lot of wisdom here, and I want to read this together. It says this in the word of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his continual, his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he's uttered. O offspring of Israel, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all of the earth. Remember his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for thousands of generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion of an inheritance. When you were few in number of little account, the sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For God, or for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord, the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fill it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Say also, save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen. And praise the Lord. Again, David is calling his people to respond to God's provision in their lives. The things that God has done from then until the time that the writer is writing, he is calling them as a reminder to, to remain in the covenant, to keep these statutes, to continue to move forward, and to have faith, to trust God. He's calling his people to respond. And I want to look at this together because he is also calling us to these same kind of responses when he acts on our behalf. These are on the back of your bulletin if you want to stick along with me. These are the points that I'll be making this morning, and we'll have them up on the slides here in just a minute as well. Um, but, but these are the things that I believe with, with some sub points, right? 
um, that God is calling us to in how we respond to his provision as, as those that God has called upon to follow him and trust in him. The first one seems simple and very straightforward, but it's simply we are called to praise him. We are called to praise him. He starts off by saying, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. He gives a couple different ways of what praise looks like, right? We, we think of praise, and oftentimes we just think of praise and worship, right? Music or, or singing. But praise and, and the worship of God actually takes the form of many, many, many different things, right? It can be worship by song, right? But it can also be the reading of the word. It can be, it can be the fellowship of believers. It can be the unity of the church, there's many ways that we praise God, and, and I believe that's the first thing he calls us to here. And he gives a couple different ways of how to do that. He says to give thanks to the Lord and call upon his name. Simply just to, to thank him, to be grateful, to call upon his name, to trust in him, and, and, and trust that he will continue to move in the lives of those believers. The second thing he says is to talk of his deeds or to tell of what he's done. And I believe that's even for us, right? As, as we talk of his deeds, as we tell of what he's done, we are, are, are pointing to the gospel. When we look at God's provision in our lives and we tell of God's provision in our lives, we are, are, are exclaiming that God is good. He is a provider. He goes before us. And I think oftentimes this is something that, that we should do more, right? Right? Many times we talk with, I, I was in student ministry for, for a few years, and we talk with students and they say, what's the hardest thing? And I say, just, just getting the courage to share my faith. And I would tell students all the time, and I, I would tell you, that it, it doesn't take, I don't think, as much courage as we think it does, because it oftentimes can be as simple as just saying that God has, has done something for us. Yes, of course, we want to share our testimony and share uh, of the salvation experience that God has worked in our lives. But first and foremost, we should be able to call upon God and just say he's good, to praise him. And when we do that continuously, people will see that in our lives. They will see how that is lived out in each and every one of us. Lastly, he does call them to sing songs of praise. He calls them to sing Songs of praise, and in other portions of Scripture, we even see that it calls us to sing to each other, to worship together, and to do this as one unified body, as the church, just what we're doing right here. And I would challenge, uh, this would be a challenge maybe for the older generation of the church. If you guys want to, to raise up the next generation of worshipers, worship. That's, be that example, Right? As I, as, as I look around the church sometimes, I, 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 we're, in, we're in the middle of worship, and I look around, and there's some stone faces, right? This is a time of celebration. This is a time of, of exalting the Lord. This is a time of singing his, his name back to him, being grateful. So my challenge to you is be that example. When these younger generations look at you, do they see you worshiping? Do they see you praising him? Do they see you singing songs of praise, or do they just see you standing, watching? Be that example for the next generation. They need you. They need you to worship. They want you to worship. 
So be that example, and that's what he calls them to, is just to sing songs of praise to him, to God, to each other, to worship well. The second thing I think we're called to here is that we're called to seek him continuously. We're called to seek him continuously. He calls them to seek the Lord, and not only just to seek him, but to do it consistently, right? Just to do it nonstop, all the time, always going, doing, and and seeking the Lord. This is key, I believe, in the life of the believer, right? As we seek the Lord, it is something that we should do on a consistent basis. It's not a a periodic thing. It's not something that we do here or there. It It is a continual thing. As we seek the Lord, It builds us up because it grows us in our relationship with him. And it also grows us in our knowledge of the scriptures. It grows us in our ability to proclaim the word. We need to seek him continuously. Seek, it says here, seek his strength. Ask him to move. Ask him to move in your life. But also to dwell in what he had done for them previously. And that's a little bit different, right? To dwell on what he had done in the past. Our faith in Jesus should always cause us to think back on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us in the first place. When we think back on what Jesus has done, our faith in him, it should point us directly back to when he started moving in our lives, when he started acting upon our hearts, when he called us to him. How we apply this is maybe even more awesome for us than it was for the Israelites. They were waiting in anticipation of the Redeemer, right? They were looking for this person as they were, as they were living this out in their lives, right? This is, this is a letter written to give hope because there are people struggling. They're looking for the Redeemer. They're seeking the Messiah, right? They, they don't know who he is or when he's coming, but they're seeking him. And that's different than what we have. We know the true Messiah. We know Jesus. We can read of Jesus. We can, we can speak of Jesus. We can, we can tell us about the relationship that we have with Jesus because he is active and living. How quick can we be to question God's provision over certain prayers and forget to look back on what God has done for us already? How he sustained us. Or even more importantly, how he provided redemption for us to even be in the right standing with him through Jesus' blood. We have Jesus to look to, the the Messiah. They're looking forward to a Messiah. We must seek him continuously. Third, we are called to remain obedient. We are called to remain obedient. So how, how does this look in our lives? How does this look for the Israelites? He calls the Israelites to remember the covenant forever. This was a call to obedience and to walk in the covenant that had been made, which meant they were to uphold their ends of the covenant in that type of obedience, right? As they walked forward, as they continued to live in that relationship with God, They were to trust him and ultimately live in that covenant, even though sometimes it was difficult. God was the one working and shaping, and they and we are called to obey and walk forward in obedience, even when it's difficult, even when sometimes it seems like 
the weirdest path you could take. And even sometimes when it hurts, God is shaping us. He is building us up. He is making for us a path. And that's what he was doing for the Israelites. He was building a path for them. He was was asking them to place their trust and faith in him so that he could work. They simply must obey and live in that. This is the same, as I mentioned today, for all believers. We must walk in humble obedience to the Lord that reigns, who is, as I mentioned, alive and active, who is continuing to move in the lives of people. Look around you. Hundreds of believers are sitting around you who have had God at some point work in their hearts. God still works. He still moves. And all of these things that I mentioned so far have to work together. We have to have faith. We have to trust in him. We have to praise him and worship him because he's worthy. And we have to remain obedient. Last and definitely not least... I believe we're called to glorify him and do so forever. David gives reasons here why God is worthy of glory. If you've ever had a conversation with a non-believer, you've probably had a conversation similar to this. Why would I worship or give my time or my energy to your God? What's special about your God as opposed to other gods? What's unique about God that may make him the real God? I think David gives us some great examples here of what God is, who God is, and why he's worthy of being glorified forever. First, he says, he is above all things. He is the creator. He's the sustainer of life. He's a sustainer of all things, you, me, everything. We look around in the world from the the largest oak trees to, to the newborn baby. God sustains everything. He is in complete control, and he is the sustainer of life. Secondly, he says he is alive and real. He says, other gods are worthless idols, but our God created the heavens, and he is present with his people. The God that created the heavens, the God that created the earth, the God that created everything, he created you. He is alive and well, and he is with you. He is present, even now. He's present. Third, he says, he is powerful. There is no match for God's power and might, and he will reign forever, uncontended. I think I said this when I came in view of a call, and I truly believe this is something I've been dwelling on a lot lately, is is that God isn't going to ever be challenged. Oftentimes we see the world around us, and we look around us, and we see see how difficult things have gotten, or how, how bad maybe even things have gotten. But I would challenge you to to think on this as well, that God is not threatened. He is uncontended. There is nobody that can challenge him. There is nobody ever that will be able to challenge him. It says this, that the earth 
is established and it shall never be moved. What he set in place, what God himself made, created, established, it can't be moved. That's how powerful God is. That's how how mighty he is. Even to the point that the earth rejoices over him. The seas roar, the fields exult, and the trees sing for joy because God is worthy. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Luke 19. As Jesus is coming into the city and those around him are singing to him and they're worshiping him. And the disciples are are singing praises of him and speaking highly of him and exalting him as he enters the town. The Pharisees, of course, a little challenged, right? They're, They're worried. They don't like this. They actually go to Jesus and they say, can you make your disciples be quiet, please? Can you shut them up? Right? And Jesus says to the Pharisees that even if they were to be silenced, the very stones would cry out to him. The power of God, the mighty works of God were present in Jesus. The earth rejoices over him. The seas roar. The fields exult and the trees sing for joy. And even if they were to shut all of us up, the rocks would cry out. That's the power of the God we worship. Lastly, we glorify him because he is good. And the greatest of all things that he loves us. The holy book is a testament. The scriptures are a testament to that from the beginning to the very end. We can see, if you, if you look, you can see the thread of Jesus from the beginning to the end. God's love for us, as it says here, is steadfast and endures forever. We just mentioned that he is unstoppable, he is unshakable, and he is above all things And the greatest news of that is that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that his love is steadfast. Again, it cannot be stopped. It cannot be blocked from you. It cannot be withheld. Only he can do that. That kind of love is the love that God offers you. That is the work that he's working in your heart when he calls upon your name. I believe how we respond to God in all circumstances speaks to the faith we have in him. Even as David called himself and others to respond to God and closed with with this prayer of further provision, right? Save us, O God, of our salvation and gather and deliver us from among the nations. He asked these things with, with, with a goal, right? He finishes by referencing that it is all for God's glory And to further boast in his name. That we may give thanks to your holy name. And glorify in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. So again, this morning, I want to take time now just to, to ask these questions of you that I asked at the beginning. How do we respond to God's provision? 
How do we glorify his name because of that provision? I think we see great examples here in the, in the scriptures, in this psalm of David, of what it is to glorify God because he's worthy, to praise him because of what he's done in our lives. And I, I would attest that, that if he has worked in your heart as a believer, if he has moved in you, then these are the ways you should worship him and praise him, glorify his name, call upon him. These are challenges for all of us, myself included. We must remind ourselves that the reason we worship in these ways is because God's sacrifice for us, proving his love and his goodness. We can read of it here in this portion of Scripture, but then we can know it through Jesus. This solidifies the reason why he is worthy of praise and adoration. He is good. He alone is worthy. And he is well deserving of every small bit of praise. Let's pray together. God, you are good. And we thank you for this passage that helps us remember that you are far and above worthy of, of every bit of, of worship and praise that we could ever offer you. Even the breath we breathe is provision from you. So may we respond to that in the ways we should. We ask that you would help us as we respond to provision in our lives, in the lives of our others around us. As you move in the people around us in, in this church, God, may that be an opportunity to worship and praise your name. May we be those that respond in, in worship, in adoration, in glorifying of your name, and also in just reverence to who you are. Even in times of struggle and sorrow, may we be those that call upon you, knowing that you are the God of answered prayers. God, you are faithful. And for those that seek you, God, that you, that you live within us. May we trust in you for all we need in every situation. And speak of your goodness. Because you deserve it. God, we love you. And we can do that because you first loved us with your true and steadfast love. God, love that cannot be shaken, it cannot be moved, it cannot be taken away. Because God, you care about us. You love us. You want us. God, may we just embrace it. May we act on your calling on our lives. We do all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
This morning, if God is moving in your heart, I would ask that you would take this time uh, as this time of response to, to, to listen to that, to act upon that calling. If you feel God moving and, and you feel as if God is calling upon you today to give your life to him, we would love to have an opportunity to talk with you. Our staff will be here at the front. And we would just ask that you would be bold to take that step of faith, to step out, and, and, to, and to speak with somebody about that. If you have questions or, or even a believer around you that you know, to ask those questions, to get those answers. If you simply want to come down to the steps and you want to pray, that will be open as well. But we just, we truly believe that every time the word of the Lord is proclaimed, the people of God are called to respond. So let's stand together as we respond together in song.